Hey guys, listen, happy Easter, happy Easter, so glad you guys are here, you all look so good, and uh, you got your outfits on, and uh, Josh even wore a bow tie today, did you see that? That's amazing, it took him an, yeah, yeah, he needs a cheer for that, literally took him like an hour watching YouTube videos to tie that thing, and that is no lie, he's like, man, does it look alright? Yeah, dude, you're alright, it looks it looks nice and straight, and, and uh, so that's good, but hey, I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm just glad that Easter is not about a creepy bunny. You know what I'm saying? And we're here today, and we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that is not wishful thinking. It is the historical event of the ages. Today, more than 2.2 billion people around the world celebrate it. According to a 2016 Rasmussen poll, 77% of Americans believe in the resurrection. Well, I don't care if it's 7, 77, or 100%. Regardless, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The Bible says 515 people witnessed his resurrection from the dead. They saw the risen Christ. If you laid those people out, or you had them every 15 minutes give their testimony in a court of law, Every 15 minutes they told their story, it would take 128 hours of courtroom testimony for them one after another telling about the story of the resurrection of Jesus and what they saw. That would be six days of resurrection testimony in a court of law without a potty break. Now how many of you know after all of that, after all that testimony, man, that would be a convincing proof of the resurrection. Not only that, but so many of those who were early eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus, gave up their life in a, mortar, in a martyr's death. That one moment, this moment of the resurrection of Jesus changed the course of history, gave reassurance to failures like Peter, and it gave answers to people like doubting Thomas, and it, it helped the disciples who had been afraid. And, and quite frankly, guys, it gives hope to all of us, those of us who struggle even today with our sins and and yet we have this grace that, that erases them. And we who, who we encounter stressful situations, and yet we know we can overcome them through Christ's power and grace. Jesus of Nazareth, risen from the dead. But wait, some of you guys today, you're like, well, we're in Mason, Ohio. We're sophisticated. I mean, do we really believe that someone rose from the dead? I mean, we're smart. We're educated. Some of us went to Ohio State. Others of us went to Stanford. Some even went to Indiana, Indiana University, and two out of three ain't bad. I mean, you know what I'm saying? And uh, so some of you guys, you're like, wow, I don't know. When you think, let me just ask you a question when it comes to the resurrection. Have you ever studied the evidence? Because some of you approach this thing kind of like the family in Greenville, South Carolina. The husband had passed away. And this is the actual letter they received from the government. Your Social Security benefits will stop effective March 1992 because we received notice that you passed away. May God bless you. You may reply if there is a change in your circumstances. Not likely to happen, right? Not likely to happen. And we look at moments like that and say, well, that's kind of silly. We know that doesn't happen. But does it? Does it? And I just want to ask you, if you've never studied the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, start studying it. Look into it. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, the most successful attorney of all times is Sir Lionel Luck, who, who succeeded in getting 245 consecutive murder uh, individuals off. Uh, 245, either through appeal or, or acquittal or what have you, uh, by January 1st, 1985. Now, that's astonishing. Won 245 
legal cases. Well, he took the same kind of rigor that it would take to look at the evidence of someone in a murder trial and lay that against the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He ended up concluding, I say unequivocally, that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof, which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. Here we have the most successful attorney on the entire planet applying the legal test of the evidence to the resurrection and historical accounts of Jesus Christ. And he says, man, there is no doubt about this. He ends up then giving his life to Christ. So can I just encourage you today? If you've never studied it, study it. Uh, Lee Strobel, another critic of the Bible, who is a staunch atheist, who is a, uh, a, an editor of the Chicago Tribune, and he was a law uh, editor, a legal editor in the Chicago Tribune. He, his wife ended up coming to Christ. And so he began to study the claims of Christianity because he wanted to kind of disprove his wife, kind of get her back on the right path. He ended up becoming so convinced about the evidence of Jesus, his life, his resurrection, that he ended up giving his life to Christ. And he wrote a great book called The Case for Easter, The Case for Easter by Lee Strobel. And if you want to study the the resurrection evidence, study a book like that, begin to learn and understand. So we believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ split human history. Jesus is coming into this world. We Every time you write a 2017 on your checkbook, every time you write it on a, on a document, you know that that date is based on Jesus Christ coming into our world. That's how significant that was. And so with all of that, they say, well, what does that mean for me today? Here in 2017, what difference does that make to me? And I want to give you three big ideas, three things that the resurrection means for all of us. Here's the first one. The resurrection means Jesus is who he claimed to be. I mean, really, Jesus made some outrageous claims. He said, I'm the Savior of the world. I'm the only way to heaven. I'm perfect. I'm sinless. But the biggest claim he ever made was, I'm God. And that's the one that everybody goes, really? I mean, you could be a good moral teacher, but don't claim you're God. That's the thing that ended up getting Jesus crucified because the Jews couldn't stomach the fact that he claimed to be God. Um, You've probably heard people say something like this. Jesus was a great moral teacher like Buddha or Confucius or Muhammad. And they'll say, well, Jesus is just like them. But you can't really say that. Why? Because Buddha and Confucius and Muhammad never claimed to be God in the flesh. They claim to be either a prophet or a good teacher. But Jesus made this great claim. I'm God. Now, that's a big claim to back up, isn't it? I mean, what if I stood up here today and I said, hey, guys, good morning, happy Easter, I'm God, and someday I'm going to rule the world. Now, what would you guys do? Like, this dude is nutball, man. He is crazed, whacked out. No way. And you're like, we're out of here. You're like, this guy's lying. Well, C.S. Lewis once time that one time wrote, the great theologian, uh, who also had been an atheist, by the way, until he studied the claims of Christ. Uh, He actually wrote one time, Jesus is either liar or Lord or lunatic, but you don't have the option to say he's just a good moral teacher. Because if he stood up and said, look, I'm not just a good moral teacher, I'm God. He's either lying about it, he's either a lunatic, crazy, or he's Lord. Now, how would he prove that he's Lord? By backing up his claims. Now, how many of you know I'm a Bengals fan? I mean, long-time Bengals fan. 1981 Bengals fan. When we moved from North Carolina to Cincinnati, I got it kind of naturally. Back in the 70s, I was a Steelers fan. I know that will shock you guys. I know, I know, I know, I know. 
I've come a long way. God converted me in 1981. So, but anyway, um, thank you very much. Uh, so anyway, so in, in 1981, we moved to Cincinnati, and so now I've become a Bengals fan, and I have gone with the rise and the tide of the Bengals, you know. But I remember one of my favorite seasons was the season a few years back where Chad Johnson, prior to Ocho Cinco Johnson, made some outrageous claims. You guys remember this season? And he stands up, and Kansas City was undefeated at this time. It's like 2005 or so. They were undefeated, and Chad Johnson goes, hey, I guarantee a win. And all his, all his other teammates were like, shut up, you know. I mean, really? They're undefeated. He's like, I guarantee a win. We're going to win this game. And you know what happened? They went into the to the, they went into the Devils uh, Stadium, <laughs> Kansas City. Now, not, not, not as much the Devils in Pittsburgh. But anyway, so they went into Kansas City, and they play the game, and they win the game. And everybody's like, man, Chad Johnson, he just proved this. Now, that's pretty amazing, but the truth is Chad Johnson got an awful lot of things wrong too, right? And he claimed to have other things that he said were right, and they weren't right. But listen, if Jesus came into this world and he said, here's what's going to happen. I'm God. I've fulfilled all these 300 prophecies about the Messiah. This has been God's plan from the very beginning to save people from their sins because they owe a death penalty, and I'm going to pay that price on the cross, and I'm going to fulfill all these prophecies. Not only that, I'm going to live a sinless life. Not only that, I'm going to perform undeniable miracles. Not only that, I'm going to die at the brutal hands of the Romans. Not only that, after three days, I'm coming back. Now, how many of you know if after three days he came back, that would be sort of a big I told you so? You know what I'm saying? You'd be like a big, throw the gauntlet down, prove who you are. Well, here's what Jesus said, John 14. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. I've told you now before it happens. So when it does happen, you'll believe. John chapter 11. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. John 14. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And so Jesus just kind of threw down the gauntlet. In John chapter 2, when he cleared the temple out of a bunch of dishonest people and thieves, they said, by what authority do you do this? He said, I'll tell you what authority, I'm God. And they said, really? Prove it. He goes, I'll tell you what, you're going to kill me, and after three days, I'm coming back. Now, if I were the guys on the receiving end of that, I'd be like, yeah, right. I don't know if that's really going to happen. So Jesus is killed. Day one, in the tomb, he's still dead. Day two, day, day two, he's still dead. But Easter Sunday morning, the women come to the tomb, and they find that the tomb is empty, that the, that the stone has been rolled away, and the angels there at the tomb said, we t- he told you when he was here that he's going to resurrect, so why are you so surprised and why are you afraid? Listen, Jesus' resurrection proves who Jesus claimed he was, God in the flesh. Secondly, it proves to me that Jesus keeps his promises. You know, a lot of us struggle with promises today. Um, there's a movement that came out a few years ago called Promise Keeper, where men all over the country and the world kind of got together in stadiums and chest bumped each other and said, we're going to keep our promises, you know, to our wife and our families. They'd celebrate each other. But, you know, the truth is that husbands and wives have trouble sometimes keeping promises. Parents aren't always reliable. Hey, I'll be there right on time to pick you up, and they're late. Politicians promise to be faithful to their public trust and yet somehow let people down. Salespeople promise that product will be at your office tomorrow, but it's not there. Merchants promise the check is in the mail, but it's not. The mechanic promises your car will be ready in 15 minutes, but it's not. 
The advertiser says, this product will put hair on your bald head in about a week. How many of you know that didn't work? And we break promises too. Anybody in here not broken a promise to God? God, I will never do that again. I swear, I promise. And if you just get me out of this and God gets you out of it, you go, oops, did it again. Thank you, Brittany. A promise is only as dependable as the person who made it. God is ultimately dependable. He's so faithful. And the resurrection proves that. Mark chapter 10, verse 33. Again, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. Listen to what he said. We're going to go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. We'll hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. Now, you can't get more specific than that. And then Matthew 28 tells the fulfillment of that. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. You know what the resurrection tells me? God is faithful to keep his promises. And I love this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 1, 2, verse 20. It actually says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. They are yes in Christ, and that's good news. Because there are over 7,000 promises in Scripture. Did you know that? 7,000 promises like, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. You ever had anybody tell you, hey, you're looking kind of tired right now? Uh, this past uh, Thursday, or Thursday night, we had a little Bible study over here, a little apologetic study. And, and uh, afterwards, one of the ladies came out and said, she grabbed me, she said, you're looking kind of tired. Are you all right? I felt fine. But now suddenly I'm feeling kind of tired. I'm like, what? I thought I was good. And then I literally, right after that, I call my mom on the phone. I'm like, hey, mom, how's it going? Are you good? You know, talk, talk, talk. She's in the middle of the conversation. She goes, you sound kind of tired, honey. You doing all right? I'm like, what? What is it? You know what? I'm feeling fine, all right? I feel great. And finally I'm like, no, it's not tired. I'm just getting old. You know what I'm saying? I'm just getting old. And uh, you just look tired all the time. But uh, here's the deal. When, when we're tired, now, we've got to grab that promise. Come to me, all you labor and her- carry heavy burdens. I'll give you rest. We've got to own promises like ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. We've got to really claim promises like God is faithful. He won't tempt- let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. With that temptation, he's going to provide a way out. And friends, if you don't know the Bible, you don't know the promises. And you can't claim the promises if you don't know them. So you know what I think is one of the greatest promises in all of Scripture? John 14, verse 2, where Jesus said, In my Father's house there are many mansions, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Keith Green used to sing a song that said, God's been working on, on earth. It took him six days to work on earth and create it. Man, he's been working on, earth, on heaven for 2,000 years. Just imagine how beautiful, how amazing that is in heaven. And I look forward to heaven. In my Father's house are many mansions. And I'm gonna, I don't care if it's a room. I don't care if it's a mansion. Man, a room in heaven is better than a mansion on earth. Because Jesus is alive today. And because he said it, it can happen for all of those who follow him. The resurrection proves that. Here's the third thing it does. For me, it says, the resurrection tells me that Jesus has the power that he claimed to have. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down in my own accord or my own power. Or or I lay it down only and with the authority to take it up again. Jesus said in Matthew 28, all power in heaven and earth is given to me. His resurrection proved that he had ultimate power. 
I mean, a lot of us want power today. We talk about power. We got power suits. We got power ties. Josh is wearing a power bow tie today. We got power bars, power lunches, power naps. We got power suits. Man, we got it going on. Everybody you turn, you're like, man, I want some power. It's like the guy from Kentucky who ended up, of course, he's going to be from Kentucky. I got a guy from Kentucky who ends up uh, going into uh, the hospital. He's got these burn marks around his neck, and they're asking, what, what happened to you? And he's like, well, my wife and I were just sitting out on the porch out here, and we got a new dog shot collar, and, and we were just like, man, I wonder if that thing works, and how far does that thing go? And, and so they t- he's, like, he's like, I got an idea, babe. You sit here on the porch, and I'll just take the truck. I'll take the truck out, and when I get to a certain place, I'm going to honk the horn, and I'll watch the odometer, and when I honk it, you hit the thing, okay? And so, Great, good idea. So he takes off and drives a little bit, and, and he honks the horn, and uh, he hits the button. It shocked the crap out of him, and so much so, can you say crap? Anyway, so it shocked, so, so, so much so that, like, it, like, disoriented him, and he's, like, swerving, and he swerves into the lane of another guy that's oncoming, and you know what that guy did in reaction? He just laid on the horn, you know, and his wife is back at the porch, like, dang thing doesn't work, man. Send him to the hospital. We all need power. In this verse in Philippians chapter 3, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. So let me just share with you real quick three areas where I think we get God's power. One is he's got the power to forgive your past. Some of you guys walk in here with incredible burdens of regret and shame. Man, if only, if I hadn't done this. We all have guilt. One fellow pastor received this letter from a guy who really was dealing with some regret. The guy writes, I'm 31 years old and divorced. And though I fought divorce bitterly, I feel so bad. I have no hope for my future. Often I go home and cry, but there's no one holding me there when I cry. Nobody cares. Nothing changes. And I continue to, to fail. I'm stressed out emotionally. I feel like I'm on the verge of collapse. Something is so wrong with me. But I feel so hurt and embittered that I can scarcely react or relate to others anymore. I feel as if I'm going to have to sit out the rest of my life in a penalty box. And the tragedy is there are a lot of people who are just like that. They feel isolated, alone. They feel guilt from the past in some way. It could be real guilt. It could be false guilt. And they say, I just gotta, I'm just going to have to deal with this the rest of my life. They carry baggage. If that's you today. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in a letter to a church at Colossae. It said, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins. He canceled the written code with its regulations that were against us, that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailed it to the cross, and he disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That's such a great verse because it says, Jesus paid your price on the cross. He forgives your sins. That means I don't have to pay for it. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to work for it. He forgives and cancels the written code. Paul writes again to another church in Romans, in Rome, and he he says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. You guys remember Etch-a-Sketches? And uh, draw a little picture, and, you know, if you didn't like the picture, you just shook it out. Man, I love that kind of idea because God's forgiveness is kind of a huge etch-a-sketch where you have the story of your life written out, 
all the past mistakes, all the things you struggle with, and God at the cross just kind of cleared that out. And he just forgives you for, our, for all the, of your sins, all your past, all your present, all your future. That's good news. He has power to forgive your sins. He has power to manage your problems, which is a good thing, especially for those of us who are parents. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying our kids are our problems, but you know what I mean. And uh, I remember a, a, a book by Charlie Shedd, an author, and he, and he used to tell this story on himself. He's like, before we had kids, I used to travel across the country and teach a lecture called Ten Commandments for Raising Perfect Kids. But that was before you had kids. And after he and Martha had their first kid, he changed the lecture to Ten Hints for Parents. And then after their second kid came, he relabeled the lecture, A Few Tentative Suggestions for Fellow Strugglers. And after he had four kids, he stopped giving that lecture. He's like, I don't have anything to give anymore. Friends, maturity is when you figure out you don't have to have it all figured out. That the problems that you have, that you look at and go, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. We get stressed out, worked over, and frazzled. All these words we use for just not having any power. And on your own, you don't have power. That's why Christ partners with us. Ephesians chapter 1 is such a great verse where it says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you. You have the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and you have his incomparably great power for those who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. For far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. That's the same kind of power that enabled Christ to be raised from the dead and enables you to, to encounter your problems day to day. Whatever the future holds, you don't know what it holds. But I know that regardless, God's going to help carry me through those challenges. That's why Philippians 4 says, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Here's the third thing God's power does. It helps secure your future. See, the fact is everybody has this, this longing to know what's going to happen. What's going to happen after I die? It's obvious we're going to spend more time on that side of eternity than we do on this side. We know we're going to spend 60 or 70 or 80 years uh, on this side of eternity. And then on that side, though, we're going to spend all these, this, this eternity, this infinite number of years in heaven. And so today, what we experience is like really, it's the preschool level compared to eternity with God. You see what Jesus did for us? By kicking the end out of that tomb, he sort of created a passageway from this life to the next, a place where only perfection and no crime, a place where there's no tears, no disease, a place where there's no death. I mean, that's a place I'm looking forward to. That's why we don't have to be afraid to die. And we also don't have to be afraid to live. I mean, I know a lot of people who face that moment in their life where they're at the end of their life and they don't know what to do and they're afraid. And I've also seen a lot of people who have that faith in Christ and they do it with such confidence and grace. People like my dad who went from this life to the next with such power, such grace. His body's failing. His mind is good. His spirit was awesome. Now, God, just take me from this life to the next. Everybody he saw, I'm going to heaven. Are you ready to go? I mean, it's like my dad was always great on journeys. Dad usually did not 
uh, enjoy the journey too much. He enjoyed the destination. Anybody know what I'm talking about when you travel? In fact, when we went to fast food restaurants and we're on our way, dad was notorious for being a rearranger of the fast food restaurant when we went in. Like we'd go in and if the poor worker at the other side of the table did not have their stuff together like quickly, dad was ready to like give them some hints, all right? And it came out pretty direct. He's like, listen, I'll just take whatever you got back there. I want this person. You need to march over here. I mean, it's like he's directing. It wasn't quite that bad, but almost. You know what I mean? And we're on vacation. Don't you all know at McDonald's that we are on vacation and we have a place to go? And we'd all stand back there and be like, Dad, I don't really care. Just give me whatever, man. I know, whatever. It does not matter at this point. And, uh, but, man, we got to where we wanted to go, all right? And uh, it was about the, the destination. And one of the things I love about how Dad passed Oh, he loved the journey. He loved the family. He loved those moments together. But his eyes were on the destination. His eyes were on the prize. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear going from this life to the next because we know that Jesus said, because I live, you will live also. Frank Peretti used to tell the story of a family that was taking a drive on a trip and uh, a bee began to fly around in the car, which is normally for most of us would be maybe a little bit fearful, but for this family it was it was death uh, for a child that he had. And, uh, and so the father knew how allergic his child was to the bee. So he just simply reached out and he grabbed that bee. And as the child was screaming uh, and crying, the dad just simply opened up his hand and there was the stinger in his hand. And he said, hey, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. All that can do now is just buzz. It's not going to hurt you. And the Bible says this, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The resurrection of Jesus Christ took away the sting of death for us. All death can do now is just make a lot of noise. That's all it can do. That's because of the resurrection. Friends, there's hope that we have that we move from this life to the next. And that's why, like Josh read earlier, First Peter, he writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. And then the Apostle John writes, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, who you've sent. So let me just close by giving you some facts, okay? Fact number one, God created you. The very beginning of the Bible, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created you. Fact number two, God doesn't make any mistakes. He created you with a purpose. Every single person that's in here, every single person that's ever lived, God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. He wants you to accomplish some great things. And part of life's journey is kind of discovering, God, what do you want me to do with the one and only life that you've given me? He gives you, he gives you a purpose. Fact number three, we've all made mistakes. There's not one perfect person in here, not one perfect person that's ever lived other than Jesus. Every single person has disappointed people, let people down, sin, made mistakes. Nobody's perfect. We've all blown it. So that leads to fact number four. We all need a Savior. The Bible says the penalty for sin is death, but praise be to God, He gave us new life through Jesus Christ and His death on the cross. So we all need a Savior. Fact number five, Jesus is God. Came to earth over 2,000 years ago. In fact, your calendar is marked by the very fact that Jesus entered our world. And Jesus came and he lived. He wanted to, to show us the extent of his love. Fact number six, Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross. Undeniable historical fact. 
Somehow, he took the penalty for everything I've ever done wrong and everything you've ever done wrong. I don't understand it all, but I believe it. And I know that Jesus died for us. In fact, number six, he rose again. That's why billions of people today around the world are just like us in this place. And we are celebrating the resurrection because the fact that he defeated death means that we can move from this life to the next life with complete confidence as well. He loves you. He cares for you. And so we're going to offer you a time today to kind of deal with this in your own mind about what God did for you and what that means for you. All right, we're actually going to, I'm going to just be sitting right down here in front. We're going to sing a song. During that song, if you've never come to Christ, I want you to know that, that, that God makes it very easy for you. He just says, I want you to believe in me. And if you're not sure if you believe yet, study it. Study it, because if it's true, it makes all the difference in the world. Study the evidence for yourself. Begin to research. Begin to find out. If you have questions, let us know. Begin to ask. But believe that Easter isn't just about a creepy bunny. It's about Jesus Christ resurrecting from the dead. Christmas isn't just about gifts and Santa. Man, it is about God coming into our world. That's what we celebrate. Believe it. Secondly, confess it. God, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I, I love him. I want to live my life for him. I don't understand it all, but man, I understand that. Thirdly, repent of your sin. Say, God, I, there's some areas in my life I am broken. I'm busted. I got some things I need to get right. I'm sorry, God. That's what repentance means. And be baptized. Come to that point, uh, like millions of other followers of Christ, where you go, you know what, I want to die to my old way. I want to be buried. I want to be raised to new life. But you're like, do I really have to do all that? I mean, it's Easter. I got like my new shirt on, and I got it from Coles. They had a sale. And do I really, what am I going to do? It's going to get wet. Well, guess what? We have stuff you can change into. Or if you're not ready today, you need to come let us know. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know about today and this moment right now. And you say, God, man, I just, I need to get right before you. So I'm going to be up here, and you can come talk to me. Or if you want somebody to pray with you, you can do that. Um, But also for all of you guys who you're here and celebrating Easter today, the resurrection, can I just say, Man, I get, so, so this church is so awesome because like we have such a good attitude. I love how you clap and you applaud and you cheer and you're like, woohoo. And I think that's the way it should be. Because anybody in here ever been, ever been in a dead church before? You go to a dead church, you're like, it's resurrection day. They're like, whatever, ho-hum, it doesn't really matter. I'm like, get up, come on, it's resurrection, ah, let's go. You know, and all this stuff. And like we should be cheering and celebrating, you know. I mean, it's a whole lot better than the Bengals win. I mean, that's never going to happen. They're never going to the Super Bowl. Let's celebrate something that actually did happen, you know. Let's celebrate together. So we're going to sing here in a minute. And I want to kind of change your posture today from a posture of, woe is me, my life stinks, I'm too tired, I'm worn out, to a posture of, man, we are celebrating the king, man. We're celebrating the victory today. So get ready. I'm going to pray. If you have a decision to make, come talk to me. And uh, you can do that even during that song. Just slip right up here. Let's talk. But then, hey, let's just celebrate today, all right? Okay? God, we thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for this church and for the kind of attitude and the spirit that's here, not just on this weekend, but every weekend. There is just this attitude here that is such a positive, encouraging attitude. And it's an attitude of not woe is me or I can't believe, but there's a realness here about all of this, there's a realness when we struggle. There's also a realness when through the struggle we celebrate. So God, give us that kind of power today. We love you. We praise you. We pray it in Jesus' name.